It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie. And joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome everybody. This is your host Christopher Rennie bringing another episode of the Buck Off Podcast with Land Grant Holy Land. I'm here with Jordan Williams for a special episode today. And before we get into that, how you doing today, Jordan? Man, I'm doing good. As best I could be. Everybody in my house is sick, which is weird because it's like, you know, 50 degrees outside. But I'm as good as I can be after watching that national championship and realizing that football season's over. And I know we have the NFL playoffs, but it's just not the same. I'm going to watch it, of course, but it's just not the same. Football's over. Uh, how you doing? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. It's definitely been uh, kind of reworking my like weekly schedule these last few weeks. You know, finding some extra hobbies to pick up. You know, legal gambling's helped fill the void. Um, but overall, college football season is officially in the books, and that that's not fun. That isn't fun for any of us. If you're listening to this show, I know it's absolutely not fun for you because now we have what seven and a half months until we're back doing what we love and that is sitting on the couch or on a bar stool watching college football and or in the stadium even i didn't i, I don't know why i didn't know that i guess that's because i don't do it really that often yeah <laughs> not we don't i don't know too many people that go to go to games still but you know some of you do yeah but man it, it's tough we're here and the special episode today we're gonna do our end of season oh Award show? Yeah, awards. They're kind of rewards, too, for all the players, for all the hard work they did, but there's no financial backing. So they're just awards, recognition. 
Um, and it's going to be kind of like the Oscars mixed with the SVs mixed with chicanery. So I'm very excited for it. Very loosely planned show, uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun. But I think before we get into that, we have arguably the biggest news in Ohio State football history. Tommy Eichenberg's back. Tommy Train is back on the tracks. This is the news that me personally, I have been waiting for. I have also been expecting because if you listen to any of the interviews about Tommy, it just seemed like he was going to come back. Like, I hate this comparison because it didn't really, really, it didn't really work well. And it was really fucking annoying. And so, like, we're not going to do it. But uh, he gives... Chase Winovich vibes. He gives like Adrian Hutchinson vibes. Like, I'm not going out like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're not going to call it no like stupid ass revenge tour and then lose a bunch of games. Like, he's not going to go all in the media and do that, which is why we like him, which is why he's our better version. That's why he's at Ohio State and not there. But it, it kind of just like, I think if we won or it ended a little differently, I could have seen him, uh, you know, going. And the other thing about him is just like he's a linebacker so he I, I, like I've heard yeah. people start talking about him I hear like I do listen to the draft shows and the things of the few people I respect not Todd McShay and them nobody he's definitely well respected in those yeah, circles and not so much that he also couldn't improve his draft stock by coming back yeah and like it's tough for him because odds are he probably won't be a first round pick unless he somehow becomes some testing freak out of nowhere. But his game is always going to be cutting his teeth in the film room, being in the right position, being physical at the point of attack, you know, and just doing his job well. And, you know, I think adding another year of tape of just high consistent level of football will be beneficial for Tommy. And I think it'll, I, I think right now his range would probably be a day two or early day three pick. And I think he can yeah. definitely solidify that day two type of selection and get on a team. And I definitely know, like, I don't think we don't know Tommy personally. We're big fans of him, obviously, if you've listened to the show this season. But he definitely will be able, he'll be willing to play special teams in the NFL. There is zero question about that. So yeah. he'll find a role. He's going to find a role at the next level. And I just think it's such a big win because. Uh, it's no offense to the guys behind him and Cody Simon and CJ Hicks and those kind of younger guys, Gabe Powers, Reed Carrico. They will have their time. But with kind of the question marks on the offensive line on the other side of the ball, you're basically returning like nine contributors on defense next year that were key and started games and played a lot. And I think – this was such a big win because I think we, we we've seen the offense figure itself out. The defense has struggled and getting that continuity is going to be so big with Jim Knowles going into year two that I just really can't like put into words how excited I am that he's back outside of like, you know, our Tommy train and all that fun stuff we do, you know, to the moon with Tommy. It's a rocket ship now. It really is. And it's going to continue as long as the defense improves with Jim Knowles. Yeah, for sure. And I, for me personally, because I, I, I'm predicting this right now on January 12th, if Tommy has a good season, which I don't know why he wouldn't, health, all that good stuff, everybody knock on the wood that he stays healthy, um, Tommy is going to be this year's Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell didn't, in my opinion, earn all the awards that he got because Tommy was better. But what Jack did is Jack made a name for himself the year before 
he finished in some of them got all american was very close people left he came into this year as the best linebacker in the country everyone knew his name because people don't understand linebacker play and therefore he maintained his standard and therefore won there is no reason again as long as he stays healthy knock on wood with me again he's going to win all of those awards because they now know his name um Two thumb Tommy. Tommy two thumb. Yeah, so it's just like me personally, I feel like he deserved those accolades this year. And so it's gonna be really great for him to get them next year again, as long as he maintains his standard. And I don't see why he wouldn't be even better. So there's a lot of reasons, but to your point, right? Like the defense needed this. At the end of the day, the offense has continually continued to or whatever the word is, because they have Ryan Day, they had like only one person changed on the offensive staff before this season. These players have been there for two, three, four, five years, right? So it's easy for them to pick up where they left off. And even with the offensive line concerns, if Coach Fry is the guy that we think he is, he's going to make those players better. Like, Zen Mahowski is ahead of schedule. Josh Fryer is ahead of schedule. And I think that has a little bit to do with Coach Fry. You give him a whole offseason, maybe we'll have a decent offensive line. I'm not ready to say that yet. But even still, with a lesser offensive line, you have all of the other players who are there that's going to keep the offense at a level. We can't, we can't afford to lose all of our defensive guys going into this year because the system's not there, the continuity's not there. You don't have the old guys that are used to the system that can set the standard because it's a new standard because it's a new coach. Tommy is going to set that standard, and he's going to pass that to CJ, who's going to pass it to the next guy, who's going to pass it to the next guy. Just like JT and Jack, and they're going on their third year as the bonafide leader because there's no Zach Harrison, there's none of the older guys, they're going to pass it down to uh, all of the younger guys. They're going to pass it to Caden Curry, who's going to pass it to, you know, Jason Moore, who's going to pass it to the next guy. So the the people staying on defense, and I'm not going to try to say that word again because I'm pretty sure I got it wrong like three times. I just can't pronounce it. The defensive guys coming back, but especially Tommy, who's the leader and the tone setter, is huge. Yeah, you get – yeah, because, like, on the field, it's going to make a big difference, right, because he's talented, he's good, he's he's smart, he's a smart football player, he knows where everyone's lining up, he's directing traffic like a middle linebacker should do. But you're going to get him the, an entire another off season. Like, you're going to get him in spring practice. You're going to get him moving forward. So he's going to be there in workouts. He's going to be there doing all that stuff. And losing a guy like that during those periods – like a guy who like just absolutely breathes that. It honestly is kind of like the same with Cade Stover. Like, yeah, maybe not to the same level of impact, right? But like Cade Stover is one of those guys who works so incredibly hard at all times that like it's like it wears off on other people, and you have to have those guys there. And it's good. The more you have, the better. And these young guys are going to learn from that. And that's going to, like you said, set the tone for everything. And that's just not on the football field. That's in the weight room. That's in the locker room. That's in the film room. And that's like a standard that needs to be maintained for a little bit, especially with Jim Knowles. And it'll be even better to see Jim Knowles' defense with returnees because, you know, it would be hard to really evaluate Jim Knowles in year two replacing some of these key guys. 
Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing, like with Jim Knowles, and I know we'll talk about this more in the offseason. The, the end of the season felt so disappointing because the defense had played so good. And so it made it hard in the moment to remember that this was more than a one-year rebuild and that these kind of things were going to happen. You just wish it happened earlier in the season and almost earlier in the season they were locked down and you were like, oh, it's fixed, it's fixed, it's fixed. And then the cracks came against the better opponents. That's the kind of stuff that happens. This defense from a talent, from a depth, from uh, fundamentals, especially the fundamentals, was more than a year away. So, you know, now you have the second year in the system. It is proven at Duke and it was proven at OK State that every time Jim knows his defense gets better every single year. His defense is in its prime in its third year at all these places. I can't say that's going to happen for us because in the third year, we're going to be playing more young guys. I think Ohio State, because they have better athletes um, and Yeah, according to him, smarter athletes. He said, like, nobody has learned the defense as as fast as Ohio State, like that kind of stuff, that they're going to be cream of the crop next year. So, But that starts with having – that starts with having Tommy back. That starts with JT and Jack in their third year. That starts with Lathan coming back, who could have left. And I know y'all don't like him for whatever reason, but he is still a really good player. That starts with – He was Jim Knowles' favorite player most of the season. That starts with – Right. Like that starts with Denzel being in his third year and like all of these guys. But Tommy is like this is a this is no pun intended. Tommy is the engine. And it should have yeah. been a pun. I should have just been like Tommy is the engine. Like, Tommy's a train but, engine. Uh but you know, either way, he legitimately is the engine. He is the reason why this works. Um there's a reason that Jim Knowles is a linebacker coach, even with the focus on the safeties. The safeties can't do their job if you don't if you can't trust your linebackers in the box to defend the run yeah. and not have the safeties, you know, as much involved. Which is why, as it should be, our leading tackler on the team was a linebacker. Yeah, first time in a while. All is right <laughs> in the world. No. But yeah, and I think you're new to the show. I hate when safeties lead the team in tackles. It should never happen. It's a disgrace against football. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, back in my day when I was a yoga snapper, I was a safety. It was making a lot of tackles, a lot more than I should have been. But uh, I, I still think this is just like off topic, but nothing is worse than when you're at free safety and you just see that running back and they just open this big hole on an inside zone in the middle and it's just you and that running back and you're just like, oh, uh, God, the linebacker's filled wrong. Just me and this guy. And like and you're no, not even really trying to tackle him. You're just trying to grab some cloth and just hold on. Yeah, like no real no safety's probably gonna admit it. So as a non-safety, I'll admit it. You're the safety's at a disadvantage. Like the, the like realistically, unless you're like fucking Minka Minka Fitzpatrick or like some of them top guys, that running back should win every time. Because yeah. in bas- in basketball terms, they have a three-way go. They can juke left, they can juke right, they can run over you, they can spin. It's really like a seven-way go if they're at, if they're freaking Travion Henderson when he's healthy. Like like that's not a, that's not good. For the it's not a fun place to be, and I couldn't imagine being Ronnie last year. Would not have been fun. No. Uh, and then at the same time, you're tackling the guy up the field like 15 yards, and people were like, "Why is he tackling him up the field 15 yards?" It's like, because he's the only one there tackling him. <laughs> and but if I didn't tackle, you would know. Ask Bryson Shaw. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I can't wait for that award. That's gonna be great. Oh man. Uh, 
You know what was worse was it would have been a freezing cold take if like Bryson Shaw like kept that momentum he had going all the way through the end of the season and they made yeah. the playoffs and like he made a big play to do it. I would have that would have been my like coldest take of all time. Yeah, but we knew that wasn't gonna happen. Just not that. Yeah, bad. that would have replaced J.C. Latham being a lock to Ohio State. That would have that's how that's the level of cold that would have been. <laughs> oh man, I haven't heard that name in a while. Is he good? Where's he at? Bama? Does he he's play? Still, he's still at Bama. I think he plays. Are you sure? Yeah, I haven't he, heard that yeah, name in a while. Guard, honestly, I don't think he's at tackle though. Okay, all right. Um, well, but yeah, yeah. make the playoffs. So I didn't see Bama the one time I watched him in here. Yeah, no, but Tommy coming back is huge, and I'm I'm not gonna rant on this for like another two or three weeks when we have more time and we're not doing fun awards. I just want to I just want to say this: the grass is not always greener. Production is va- is better than talent. Yeah, you do not want CJ Hicks to be the starting linebacker because he was a five star linebacker. You want Tommy Eichenberg to be the starting linebacker because he had over a hundred tackles and barely missed the snap. Now, you as a CJ Hicks fan, am I going to be mad if he earns the right to start over Steel Chambers? Because also him and Tommy don't play the same position. No. Am no. I going to be mad if Sonny Styles earns the right to play over Lathan Ransom? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. They're both Ohio kids. They're five stars. Yeah, I right. can't wait to see them play. But they don't deserve to play because they're five stars and they're younger. These players have earned it. They have showed it on the field. We have seen it. We have the stats, the game film to prove that these players deserve to play. It is not always greener, and you don't always have to play the young guys. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you on that. Like, I, I think one of the tweets that was directed at me when I, I – I didn't announce it, but I commented on it um, – was, yeah, it sucks that we won't get to watch C.J. Hicks. And I'm like, you know, you probably still will if he's as good as advertised. He'll be a third linebacker. And I, I would really love to see C.J. in kind of a Raekwon McMillan type of role. Yeah. Where – and anytime they go bigger, like if C.J. Hicks isn't the third backer, then that says all you need to know. That's what I – I said to our Slack channel, like there are definitely opportunities for him to see the field. Jim Knowles showed he's willing to run a three linebacker set at times. And if there, if he's the third guy, that makes plenty of sense. Cause he really does kind of, he's built like a Sam linebacker at the NFL level. If we're like really bringing it down on the type of athlete he is and how he is built. For sure. And I want people to understand, like, this is coming from the guy who all last year called for the young defensive lineman. But that was different because the older defensive lineman didn't have the production. They had a big difference. (laughs) Tommy Eichenberg is not. And this isn't to take a shot at Javante Jean-Baptiste, who I hope does well in his next stop. But it's a big difference. Tommy Eichenberg was a borderline All-American. He's an all-conference guy, proven commodity, like – like I said, he was on every single one of my ballots for the linebacker yeah. awards. He was he was a first team All American for me. I know pe- I know people don't do this, but he was a consensus second team All American. Like I know consensus is only for first team, but he was a consensus second team All American. If that was a title that was put out there, which I think it should be, but still he was that. And I still contend if people actually knew how to evaluate linebackers, which they don't, he would have been a first team All American. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like, I, I yeah, want CJ I mean, Hicks to play. I do, but he hasn't earned it. Yeah. If, like, you want – so next year, because he's only going to be a sophomore next year, you want to see progress. You want to see him playing in 
minutes, like real minutes, like when the game is in the like myths, like when there is game on the line still, you want to see him getting situational football snaps. That's the same to go with Sonny Styles because guess what? Sonny Styles was supposed to be in high school last year. Yeah. Ultimately, uh, the only thing I want for those players, and this is the same for Caden Curry, this is the same for Tegra Shabola, this is the same for all of these guys. I want them to play enough where they don't transfer. I want them yes, to feel yes, that's good like to how play. I want them to feel like how Marvin Harrison Jr. felt two years ago. I played enough where I know that next year's my year, so I'm gonna stay. I want them to I want them to be late and ransom last year. I played enough to where I know that 2022 is my year. I still have to earn it, but I was the second guy. I was the third guy. I know when this player and this player leaves, it's my time to shine. And if I do good enough in one year, I can go to the league. Maybe it's two, depending on the position. But, like, that's what Ohio State should be like. And I think people forget that in our prime, people weren't playing as freshmen and sophomores. I mean, think about how many corners, especially because that was the fact, the fact, the the uh, factory, how many corners only started for a full year? They're, they Most came in the freshman year. They barely played. Their uh, their sophomore year, they did a lot of special teams. They played maybe 30, 25, 30% of the snaps. Their junior year, they played 80% of the snaps. First round draft pick, second round draft pick. That is how Ohio State should be. Some people are obviously going to be a fourth year, four year starter. That's what I want for those guys. I don't need yeah. them to be starters. I need them to play enough where they don't feel like they need to transfer. Playing. <laughs> Did you like some people don't know this? You can letter in college just like you can in high school. They need to play enough to where they letter. Yeah. Yeah, I, will. I, I agree. If they play enough to where they letter, even though no one talks about that because it's not high school no more. I think if they play enough to where they letter, they get, especially in CJ Hicks's case, he gets some run during Wisconsin. I don't think we play them, but like during Notre Dame, those bigger teams that we're going to play during Michigan, he stays. Next year, his junior year, he's the number one guy. That's that is the perfect career arc. For arc. Him. That's the arc that you want. That, that's the factory arc. That's what you want. That's why people still have Georgia as the national title favorites next year. And that was the Tommy arc, by the way. And guess what? It worked out. That was the Paris arc. That worked out. That was the well, not really the Juan Jones arc because it took him a little longer because he needed to lose a whole but bunch then, of weight. Yeah, he was two but years like, starter. That was like Luke Whipler is in the league because someone got injured. This was supposed to be Luke. Like Luke Whipler wasn't even like guaranteed to start this year. Because yeah, it was supposed to have supposed to be Harry. Uh, yeah, so it's just like that. Like that. Oh man, like that's so sad about Harry for one. But also, if it would have went the way it went, our offensive line would be so much better because Harry would be the one leaving, and then we would have Luke. Except, yeah, uh, that's going into the league. Yeah, Luke would be coming in to step up as a junior. Right, like three man. That's just that sucks. Both. Like personally, professionally, all the other kind of stuff, the the of the, the factory of the line, but like yeah, it's just gotta get over it. Like it happens all the time with the wide receivers. They they don't do shit as a freshman except special teams. Yeah. They make one or two plays. They step up a little bit as a sophomore, and then their junior year, it's the year to break out. Like except for Mecca Luka in this case, because you know Jackson this got injured. Another yeah. offseason conversation too. It's like it's gonna be interesting seeing how that receiver room looks next year. 
Yeah, I wanna, like I'm very interested to see who the third guy is going to be because I think I, I really I genuinely think that um, Brian Hartline believes in the logic of kind of what we're saying, not just because, but just how long it takes you to develop for him to trust you to be on the field with the little things that he asks. But there are going to be some players who are in that position. And I wonder if Julian Fleming is going to earn the right to be the third receiver, if he's going to be passed up because he, he wasn't, he wasn't bad, but he was not great this year. And he had a lot of bad stretches. Like in the yeah. aggregate, he was okay. He had like he had a three game of- stretch where he couldn't catch a ball. Yeah. I, I'm very interested to see. He had a five-game stretch where he scored a touchdown every game. Yeah, so if he's so become that guy, up and down. But very um, interested to see if he can. Yeah, be, I think he needs. A, he just needs to have a full, healthy offseason. I think that'll be the biggest thing for him. Yeah, I'm ready to predict it because I talked about it last year. I'm not sure if you remember. I talked about how Ohio State could have three first-round receivers in this coming up draft because I predicted. No, I said two because I didn't predict a, a Mecca because I thought. JSN was going to play. But I said that Marvin Harrison Jr. and Julian were going to be first round picks if Julian stayed for two years and was healthy, both of them. So that's the train that I'm on. It's, I mean, if he has 3,000 yard receivers, is it out of the realm of possibility? No. I don't think so. But we don't even need him to be that. We just need him to not drop passes and yeah, big Yeah. Because people are going to uh, like him off of his size alone. He's big. Mm-hmm. And his speed. He's really yeah. fast for how big he is. All right, before we get to the awards, we got one more big news story. Kevin Warren's leaving the Big Ten for the NFL, and not to be the NFL commissioner, but to be the president of the Chicago Bears. Uh, We talked about this off the show last week. I asked you what's a better job, and you convinced me. I do think being the Chicago Bears president is a better job uh, than being a commissioner for 14 teams and having to answer to – 28 people versus being the guy in charge and only answering to one person. Um, yeah. Like and- a lot of people will tell you that the commissioner job is better. And like, it probably is overall, but it's one of those things where like, is the Alabama job better than the Kentucky job? Maybe, but is, is Mark Stoops happier than Nick Saban? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. he is. So I think it's kind of like maybe one of those things. Yeah, and it's one of those things. Like I think the hardest thing for people is it's been three years. Um, it didn't seem like the presidents and the athletic directors were making any progress in trying to get Kevin Warren to stick around for five more years, which seems to be like the length commissioners are contracted for. I don't know where they, why it's so consistent with that, but I, I do think – his legacy is going to be very interesting to look at because Jim Delaney's was very obvious. It was, what, 30 years long, and he made some very key moves. He got Penn State. He added Maryland. Uh, he added Rutgers, which was big at the time for linear TV. He basically co-founded the Big Ten Network. Um, so there was a lot of huge positives for him that are very easily obtained. And he did that over 30 years, right? Kevin Warren in three years and he's leaving in the spring. So it'll be like three and a half years by the time he's done. Uh, what? So he had to do deal with COVID, you know, however you feel about that. I really, I don't, I don't have any real opinion on that because good luck running something during that time. Um, added USC, UCLA, pretty big move um negotiated the largest tv deal in 
college football history. Yeah, I think that in I'd my it's two out of three. For sure. I think in my opinion, his overarching legacy is gonna be very well received. People just don't like him. Especially yeah. the people that work with him. And a part of the, I, I I view this two ways. A part of the reason people don't like him is because Jim Delaney was running a good old boys club and the Big Ten was not operating like a business. And so when you go from being able to do whatever you want to to someone providing structure, there's a lot of tension. tension so that yeah. is a positive in like he wasn't really a bad guy. He was just trying to get things to run like a business. Like you shouldn't be able to just work like literally I, w- I was reading an article and like there was someone who had been on staff for like two or three years and had never been to the office like Jim just hired one of his friends and they like lived in New York and like they were on staff and like they yeah, never they did like paralegal work they worked whenever they wanted to like so that some of that is like tension that was needed and that's where he benefited and other of it is like he was an NFL guy who wanted to go back to the NFL and he didn't understand college so he made enemies because he like and so like there's people who talk about like that there's not a guarantee he would have been extended because people didn't like him. So it's yeah. like some of it is like positive tension and he made the Big Ten better. And when you're setting out to be different, people aren't going to like you. And some of it is negative. It's like you never really tried to acquiesce to college and like understand the positives of the Big Ten before bringing in your ideas and things like that. And so I think that there are things that like and he alienated a lot of other commissioners and stuff like that. And yeah, he made that- his enemy. But sure, but it's definitely for the betterment of the Big Ten, which I think is what you're alluding to here. Is like he professionalized it absolutely, but look at Jim Delaney with his good old boys club. You know, uh, he was basically matching Greg Sankey, right? And then he did the genius thing by having the shortened deal so he could like so the Big Ten and the next negotiating window would be after the SEC and. That allowed Kevin Warren to get real aggressive. That allowed the conference to get real aggressive with negotiating it. And, you know, I I think the alliance was misunderstood from the start, and I didn't think it was real, honestly. And I don't think you thought it was real. I think we had a very sarcastic show once the alliance was announced. Uh, And he really buried that. And he... Now, now there's no Big Ten ACC challenge, I'm pretty sure. And there's not really a lot of relations with the back 12 anymore because I don't think George Klevikov would want to work with Kevin Warren. Yeah. And, but, and, and I think a big read, like he was cutthroat. He was very business oriented and the big 10 is going to be significantly better off for it. Yeah. And that's where I give him a lot of credit. Cause let's be honest, the guy that they wanted Jim Phillips, have you heard him talk? Like, I think that some of the way he talks is because he's he's the mouthpiece for the ACC presidents and they don't entirely take football serious. And I think that if he came here, some of the things that he said, like, especially when they're talking about like NIL and things like that. And he's like, well, I believe that education first, like some of that stupid stuff. I think he would temper that a little bit in the Big Ten. But like he Jim Phillips is not a culture breaker that's culture is probably not the right word he's not setting a standard right he's going to maintain he's going to make friends he's going to you know move forward the acc has done some good things right like 
they got a safety deal. Yeah, they're one of the first to get rid of divisions, and they put out their thing, which we're still waiting for. We can look at their protected rivals and things like that. He's done some good things, but Jim Phillips is not getting us that TV deal. He's not leaving ESPN. He's not getting USC and UCLA. I mean, okay, I won't necessarily say that, but I doubt it because, like, like from things that I've heard and people and things and podcasts and stuff, Kevin Warren was the one that was really aggressive and expansion. And Kevin Warren wanted to expand past 16. The presidents just didn't. Rumors, whatever. Yeah, they, they weren't ready for it. That, yeah, that's what people are saying. Like, I don't think Jim Phillips is doing that, especially because he would have came straight from Northwestern, and it's hard to um, separate your experience as an athletic director. Well, that, yeah. and it's hard to run your like run your peers. Now, I think Jim Phillips would be a good commissioner now for two reasons one none of his peers are there like I, I keep reading articles where 14 like 12 of the 14 presidents in the big 10 have changed over in the last two or three years ohio state's about to be on their third one because christina johnson's leaving so he would be in charge of new people it wouldn't just be his friends and two he has commissioner experience but i think kevin warren was what we needed at the time like just think about it Nobody was saying that the big we were, but like nobody nationally was saying that the Big Ten is on par or better than the SEC until Kevin Warren came. Now it's a common thing. People remember that they make more money, that the TV deal is better. Like we're not winning the national championships, and I think that's going to change. Well, Nick Saban yeah, and, and things like that, but like we're already seeing the conference take themselves more seriously. Exactly, and I don't. I just don't think that happens if you go from one good old boy and Delaney, Jim Delaney, to another good old boy and Jim Phillips. So his legacy is going to be up and down because people didn't like him. Yeah, but I think he did right by the Big Ten, except for yeah, the COVID thing. There's going to be plenty of people who just don't like him, and that's fine. He's a commissioner. No one likes Roger Goodell. Like, mm. His job's not to be liked by people. And I think, no. I think honestly, Kevin Warren very much owned that. Like, I didn't never seem like his public persona changed. He was the same old boring business guy at all times. And I think at the time with the changing landscape of the business in the college football world, it was great to have a business professional leading the way. Yeah, and the difference – and here's a, this is another thing that the Big Ten got right. They hired someone that wasn't in college football, but they hired a football guy. Yeah, absolutely. Like the freaking not the Big did. Twelve hired a freaking basketball guy, and the Pac Twelve hired a freaking casino guy from Vegas. Well, and the Pac Twelve got into their big issue because uh, their previous tennis. commissioner was PGA a tennis guy. Was PGA is golf? He was an ATP. Yeah, either the way. Yeah, ATV, yeah. yeah. He's probably the t- like, so at least they hired a football guy. And me personally, and I'll say this as a black man, pers- first and foremost, I would love to see Kevin Wilson as the commissioner of the NFL. And I think he has the resume to be the next commissioner of the NFL. This is not a Kevin Warren like hype podcast, but at the end of the day, Kevin Warren made the Vikings one of the most diverse organizations in the league. He took the Vikings from like bottom five in revenue to top five. He built arguably the best stadium and practice facility in the NFL. He came to the Big Ten, broke it an NFL style media deal, uh, and brought in two schools from the West Coast. If he can repeat the Vikings success for the Bears, because the Bears are trying to do 
uh, a new stadium and some of that kind of stuff, there's not going to be another person with a better resume than his when Roger Goodell finally steps down. So I think it would be great to have a black man as the commissioner of the NFL. But I also think it's great for him not to be in the Big Ten anymore because he always had one foot out the door. He was always angling for the next thing. And now that he made us better, I think it's time to bring in the good old boy. It's, t- it's time to bring in the guy that understands Pretty consistent, safe guy. And it's not even just the safe guy. You need someone to who understands the history of college football to be able to accurately move college football into the future. And that's where I think the Pac-12 and the Big 12 have messed up because their guys don't understand college football. So they're trying to create a new college football without understanding the history. And there are some things in college football you just can't change. And so I really hope they get Jim Phillips or another football guy or girl because one of the articles that I read – uh, mentioned the woman who is in charge of the Patriot League who used to work for the Big Ten for like 12 years. I'd love a woman commissioner, but she is from college football, born and bred, worked in the Big Ten like someone like that. Like not someone from media or the NFL or soccer or tennis or any of that kind of stuff. Someone that works in college football, male or female. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's really – there's going to be plenty of names thrown around. We're, we're not paid enough to go build our list out. It's a job where you can come from, like, a wide variety of background, backgrounds. And they're going to check on a bunch of people from the NFL, from college football, from different sports leagues. And at the end of the day, um, I think we know the front runner is probably Jim Phillips. Uh, and it would probably be – it'd probably be – uh, if the ACC doesn't get that next hire right, it would not be pretty for them. Mm, not at all. And for, and for the people asking why would Jim Phillips leave, the ACC sucks. And they're yeah, he get paid more money for like another ten years, and they're being relegated to the second run of college football. There's and no work to, to do for him. Yeah, and he was like. You don't have to do anything in the Big Ten. Like everything that you have to do as a Big Ten commissioner is literally like college football governance the only decision that needs to be made right now in the big 10 is the divisions the divisionless structure and the which um which uh the yearly opponents you're gonna do and he literally just did that in the acc like yeah they'd be working on that if he comes in and does that a month later people are gonna love him he doesn't have to do a media deal he doesn't have to do any of that he gets to sit back and just reap and the freaking benefits and and then run into a twelve team playoff where he's going to have three teams every single year and in a good year four. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great situation for whoever gets the next job. And you know, we always joke about it with Ohio State quarterbacks. It's like you get keys to a Ferrari, just don't mess it up. Yeah, you're getting keys to a Ferrari. Maybe I don't know. The Big Ten's more of a Bentley, honestly. Yeah, if uh, Gene Smith wasn't a hundred, like seventy, he'd be the next commissioner. But he's too old. I think he loves Ohio State. Yeah, I think. But man, if he's, he was like, if he, was he like does 60, a good job still. Yeah, if he was like sixty-two, if he's like sixty-two, he'd be it. But like he's like seventy-one. Like you can't project that he's gonna want to work another yeah. five years. You definitely can't project ten. Yeah, you've but, got like half of the athletic directors in the NFL or in the Big Ten are like over seventy. Yeah. You want to know one name that I thought was interesting? I don't know if you read the athletics thing. 
The name hey. that I thought was interesting is Martin Jarman. I think that's his last oh, name. Oh, yeah. He UCLA's a, guy. Yep. He was an assistant athletic director at Ohio State, worked in the Big Ten for a while, got the UCLA job. He's been at UCLA for like a year or two, brought them into the Big Ten, and he's like 40 or 50. It's like, all right, I brought him into the Big Ten. Now let me get the let me get the head job. So yeah, like, that's I, pretty funny. I, he's done a good job with UCLA. I, I think that's an interesting name. Uh, and I'm never going to call someone a non-serious candidate. But I think I don't know how much of his issues. Like, yeah, I don't know how much his issues were with the previous person setting him up for failure with that Under Armour deal. But he did get the UCLA athletic department out of like bankruptcy, basically. Yeah. So there's a lot of kudos there. Um, so, I mean, like I said, like we, we kind of mentioned it. It's like there's going to be a lot of names. There's a ton of different perspectives. It's really what these presidents and athletic directors want, and they'll find it. Yeah. And if you are in college sports – the Big Ten commissioner is the best job in college sports. And yes, it's better than the SEC job because the SEC job has way too much politics. The SEC can't even determine division a divisionless structure because half of their people are crying because they're not going to be able to play an FCS opponent anymore to get the bowl eligibility. Like, I can't wait to see the, the Big Ten with the, the SEC with the nine-game conference schedule. They're going to have so many teams who aren't eligible for bowl contention. Like the SEC facade is going to go down so much when they can't play, excuse me, FC Martin uh, in week 11. But the Big Ten is the best job in college football. So there's going to be a lot of people uh, vying for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think it's going to be interesting. I'm excited to follow it. Uh, It'll be part of, you know, we mix in some sports business discussions on here, so we'll get into it for sure. But uh, I think it's time. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to do a break a little early, and I think we'll just go, what, hours straight of awards, and we'll get you guys out of here. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I just want you guys to have fun with us, and I'll see you guys after the break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, welcome back in, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing another episode of the Buck Off Podcast here with Land Grant Holy Land. I'm joined by Jordan Williams, and we're doing our yearly award show. Uh, it's going to be a big one. We've got the worst awards coming up. This is our Razzies, our, you know, Oscars when, you know, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. This is like the worst awards, like gonna be fun we're gonna go into our least favorite things from the year not too many we don't like we're not gonna be mean we're not gonna be like over 
zealous with these. You're just like for as a viewer, some of the worst parts of the year. You might get sad. It, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So, how you feeling about this? You excited, Jordan? Yeah, I always always like uh, a little bit of uh, trolling, uh, a little bit of fun in the podcast. I think between the two of us, especially you know knowing a lot about football, sometimes we're really serious and uh, too much of our uh, mental health tied into this game sometimes. So it's going to be fun to uh, be able to have some fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's get into it. Let's just get started. Uh, we're gonna go worst game to watch this season. Uh, this award uh, is very much probably the one I didn't have any trouble thinking about. I, there was just one game throughout the year where I was just like, man, this is absolutely horrible to watch. And for me, my nominee is the Arkansas State game. Uh, it was forty-five to twelve. Ohio State didn't cover. Uh, it was one of those games where you could literally tell the only people who wanted to be there was that one receiver on Arkansas State, Johnny Langan or whatever. What was his name? C.J. Stroud doing from the Inland Empire. Regardless, don't have the stats in front of me. It was not a fun football game. It was Arkansas State. And as much as I know pay games are important, there is never a reason an Ohio State pay game should be Arkansas State and not someone else. Yeah, um, that's fair. That is a, a very, very good contender. Um, I see your Arkansas State and raise you Northwestern. Uh, Northwestern was always going to be a bad game because they're a non-serious program in the Big Ten. But then you add in literally torrential downpour. You add in crazy, almost hurricane-like winds. And you add in that nobody wants to be there because it's cold, windy, rainy, and you're playing Northwestern. That was the worst game to watch. But not only was it the it was just the worst game in general because then you had all the national media guys that are like Northwestern outran Ohio State despite the fact that it was only by two yards and like significantly less yards yards per carry they're like Ohio State didn't get wasn't able to run the ball against Northwestern Ohio State wasn't able to do this against Northwestern I don't think that they can win this game and they can do this because they struggled against Northwestern and literally nobody talked about the weather, the rain, the wind, like any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So Stroud was throwing footballs in it that were like literally moving on the way to the receiver. Yeah. So it's just like that was the worst game to watch, but it was just like everything about like the live tweets on Twitter weren't fun. Like nothing about that game was fun. So I, Arkansas State is a very good contender. That's probably uh, at, at worst. It's number two. At best, it's I think one game for me. But the yeah. two types of worst game. Because, like, with Toledo, at least we got to watch Daquan Finn on the other side. That was kind of fun. Right. With uh, Notre Dame, it was Notre Dame. It was still not the greatest football game. It was kind of boring. Um, what other games? You know, yeah, there's always – Rutgers was kind of rough, but mine had the record. Arkansas State has no business being on Ohio State schedule. And football is not meant to be played with 50, 60-mile-an-hour wins. Mm-mm. It's just it, it really honestly took us back to like the 1940s with that game. Hmm. But yeah, 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 the only positive of the Northwestern game was seeing Stroud have a big game on the ground. 
that that was that was about it. And so not not great, not wonderful. Um, yeah, definitely. I'm gonna concede this one. I think Northwestern was the worst game to watch this season because what you added about it with all the like tweets, all the national media takes, like it was not like a fair game to even evaluate. No, and it's just like anyone with common sense just like burns the tape and doesn't watch that game. Like I'm not in the Ohio State locker room. I would be shocked. I would be absolutely shocked if they watch that game. Yeah, there's really like the only things you could really learn are in the run game and short yardage because those that was the only place the game was the same. You load the box up, they're gonna load the box up, but on first and ten, when you can't li- when you literally can't throw a ball going into a direction that it's not real football. Yeah, it's just it doesn't make any sense. Um, so that was the worst one for so many reasons. I just like that game. Like I have like uh, PTFD post football. Post-football disorder. PFSD, post-football stress disorder. Uh, Because, like, what? Like, I just, like, I literally couldn't listen. Like, I mention this all the time. All I do is listen to podcasts when I'm at work. I couldn't listen to half my podcast that week because it was just bad takes about Ohio State off of, like, the worst weather game of, like, the freaking century. Yeah, like, what? Like, a lot of people complained about the weather in that Michigan game last year. Snow is not rain. Like, rain. Have you ever tried to throw a waterlogged football? They clearly haven't. I have. Uh, it hurts. That's a, you can get Tommy John surgery. Literally. And, and on top of the win? Like, come on. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that is definitively the worst game of the year. Um, you guys tweet at us. I think you guys would agree with that, though. Um, I had a feeling Northwestern would be the game, but I threw Arkansas State in there just because I was looking through the schedule. I'm like, yeah, you know, which one was the worst? And I'm like, you know what? That was horrible. That was a horrible, horrible experience. It was like Akron last year. This was no fun. And at least with Akron (laughs) last year, we got Kyle McCord instead of Stroud. So it was like, ooh, interesting story, but it still sucked. Um, There's always going to be that game on the schedule. Uh, And, you know, it's funny because I remember after the Maryland game on the instant recap show, I'm like, you know, this sucks. It was kind of stressful, but in like three, four weeks, we're going to be missing this game because football is going to be right close to ending. I'm not going to miss either of these two. Oh, not at all. It's very rare Ohio State ends up as an iPad game, but those two were close. Yeah, I'm. uh, I think. Did you say iPad game? Yeah, second screen. Okay, okay. I, that's what I thought you said. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm like, fairly positive that uh, that game was not on my main screen TV. And Ohio State games are always on my main screen TV. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it just wasn't fun. And the worst part was doing the instant recap, trying to break down that Northwestern game. That was horrible. It, it just, oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, 
man, like doing the instant recap is great for like eight to, out of the 12 games. And then like, it is also a couple yeah. that's just like absolute dog shit. I, I'm sorry. Like, I've cussed a lot year, on this podcast, but like, it's just next year. Me. It's going to be so fun right at the start. You know, if CJ Stroud leaves, we're going to have all the quarterback stuff to talk about. Then we're going to get to that middle of the season. There's not going to be a single good game for like three or four weeks. And that's really when it becomes like an exhausting tour. And Northwestern was in that stretch. And think about it. Doing that every week, not having great games, not having a lot of stuff to get excited about. You know, it was hard this year because we're basically, yeah, defense looks a lot better. Offense still good. Need to get better in the short yards. That was basically the show for like seven weeks out of the middle of the season. And then you throw that Northwestern stinker in there. And it's like, you know what? I, I love football, but I don't know if it's that much. <laughs> yeah, that that's hilarious because that really is a game that makes you like test your resolve. Like, do I do I love football? Like, like do I yeah. really like? Am I really that's going where, to watch this? That's where you saw the people who really loved Ohio State don't have that like masochistic way of watching the game, where it's like, yeah, they're not good enough. They're not good enough. They're not good enough. You saw people on Twitter being like, "Win's a win, baby." Got out of Northwestern. <laughs> like, you know what? I, I wish more people were like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I was very much a wins and win in the Northwestern game, especially after I saw the stats. Y'all heard me on there. I was kind of frustrated and mad, and then I was like, wait, no, no, no. Like, they had, like, one really, really good drive, a couple plays. Like, Ohio, like, yeah, I was – I was – I accepted it. <laughs> I guess I was just yeah. saying that. All right, you want to move on to the next award? Yeah. All right, this one's going to be a tough one. I don't want you guys to feel hurt. We don't do this to you on purpose, but it is the worst awards. So the most painful play of the year for Ohio State. And we have five of them and three of them, four of them are from the Georgia game. Four of them are from one game. So to be honest, if the Georgia game didn't go like it did, they'd all probably be from the Michigan game. Yeah, honestly. So let's start with the Michigan game and then we can just talk about the Georgia game really quickly. The third passing touchdown by Michigan, like the one and. And I I see this one, but I would also say the the second the first rushing touchdown yeah like after after, yeah, after Ryan Day like cowardly punt and then the very yeah. next play he goes like eighty yards. yard drive yeah oh was that that one I thought that was he did the cowardly punt they drove down like eighty five yards scored a touchdown and then the next time they got the ball back. They hit the first long run, and then Stroud threw the pick, and then they so, threw that second long run. Was the large the, the long run was after a change of was, it was either after the the long run was either after the cowardly punt or the uh, or the field goal. It was after a cowardly kick, though, for sure. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, that the third passing touchdown, like just yeah, just like, like I, I I will never get over the fact that JJ McCarthy played played his best game of the year against us, and then immediately was trash afterwards. Yeah, and everyone's like, "Oh, JJ, so good," and it's like, "No, he's not." And then you watch him against Purdue, and it's like, "This is the JJ that I thought was going into our game." Like, yeah, and then he, you watch him against TCU, and you're like, "This is." But, yeah, looking at it, it went down. Colston Loveland touchdown, which is my award nomination, the third touchdown pass. Uh, And they punted after, like, the botched fake punt attempt. Was that on Lathan Ransom, too? 
Yeah, it was that double team coverage where they had two guys in the same spot and then neither of them went with the guy. Mm. And then the next drive was after the punt went awry and they punted 15 plays, 81 yards, eight minutes off the clock. Next drive, Noah Ruggles field goal, couldn't punch it in. 27-yard field goal to put that in perspective. They were right there to score. Had that penalty. Uh, we all know the one. I don't need to bring it up. And um, it went 31-23. And then the next play, the very next play after they got the ball back, 75-yard touchdown. Yeah. And then they got the ball back one more time after the Stroud interception. 85-yard touchdown. So I think it really, for me, the reason I nominated the – Third passing touchdown. You know, the first one to Cornelius Johnson, you know, you can come back from a bad singular play, you know, a missed tackle. Like, you, you've got to, like, have that in your mind. Like, mistakes like that can happen. Then you get the Cam Martinez one. You're like, oh, come on, man. Like, two, but you're still in control of this football game, right? And then the third one happens, and you're like, what is the secondary even doing out there? We might as not have guys out there. That's the third guy who's running by himself down the football field. And that's why it's on there for me. That was the worst moment of that game because I think that's the one that, like, put the straw, that final straw on that broke the Brutus the Camel back. For Um, sure. And then from there, it's just like Michigan just had to sit back in there, a nice little cover for Matt, get some pressure, not let anything get past them. And that's when they're at their best. So once they took the lead, they just leaned on Ohio State, sat back in coverage, didn't let any of big plays up. And that's what made it because everything after that play was just horrible. Yeah, for sure. So that's a fair one. Um, not depending on who you ask, because we do still have some Ohio State purists who think losing to Michigan is worse than losing a chance to win a national championship. But none of that, none of those plays were worse than the Georgia. So. Yeah, do you want to go one by one, or do you want to list off four and then just talk about them all? Uh, let's let's start. We'll go from most painful to least painful. Honestly, I'm going to guess it here. All right, so I think Brock Bauer stretching out for the first down and the overturn was the least painful on this list. It right. sucked, but it was an incredible feat of athleticism. And the next couple plays, they scored a touchdown. So it was just a, you know it was a play that kind of turned the momentum in that fourth quarter. You know they were down a couple scores. They needed to get on the board. They got on the board. And it was a big reason because somehow Brock Bowers was strong enough in his upper body to use his hand to lift his leg up so he could start, stretch the ball out and get a first down. Incredible athleticism, uh, still painful. The next one I have on the list, uh, Lathan Ransom falling. Uh, kind of like I said against Michigan, you can have like a big play in a game, right? You have to like pencil in that mistake. And Lathan Ransom should have never been in that position. They were playing that weird three cloud coverage and it turned into man coverage very quickly. And Lathan Ransom couldn't get his flip, hips turned fast enough because his cushion got eaten up. And then Setson Bennett threw it to a receiver by himself. That was painful because that's probably when you started feeling that like doubt creep into your head and thinking like, man, uh, you know, if they had a long drive here, like they'd only have like three, four minutes to go to try to get two more scores. Instead, they have seven minutes after they had seven minutes to get two scores, which is very reasonable. Yeah, I agree. Let's. I, I want to see what the third is. Before I comment, I want to know if we agree on how you put the order. So what is your, your second most painful? Uh, 
the Marvin Harrison Jr. targeting. Um, I disagree, but go ahead. I think you're up enough points to where you could have survived it. But even if you lose Marvin Harrison from the game, not getting the penalty, not getting the first down, like with half the distance to the goal, you know, inside the five-yard line, you're probably going to score a touchdown there. Uh, I know Ryan Day probably had something drawn up because we had not been in that situation yet that game. So it was coming. A touchdown was coming. And another a touchdown in that spot probably puts the game away. Um, but, yeah, losing Marvin, that's the second to me because I just don't think there is a pain that could replicate missing a game-winning field goal. And just that moment of just like like I know like we always say if you let the game come down to a college kicker you it's like you leave it up to the world a chance but God it wasn't even close it wasn't even close it was like pain it was like disappointment it's like you could have at least put the effort on target and then like if it didn't if it was short it would have been a lot different than him hitting it and slicing it to the left. Yeah, so I disagree, and here and here's why. Like I, I fully understand and respect why, and I, I kind of guess that that's why you put this. The reason why I disagree is for two reasons. One, like you already said, first of all, it's our best player. It's like Marvin Harrison Jr. Like he was balling. He was like dogging up Nick Hugo, but no Fleming. Yeah, he was dogging Keely Ringo, like all dog that and laughter. So that's number one. Number two, to your point, let's say let's say they didn't call a penalty, right? So we still kick the field goal or whatever, but it's not a concussion. Put Marvin Har- and and everything else plays out the same exact way. Put Marvin Harrison in that last drive where CJ Stroud throws the ball three times. Marvin Harrison's catching one of them. Even if it just makes it a 45-yard field goal or a 30-yard field goal, if it's not a touchdown. I think that's yeah. the most because for multiple reasons. One, as the player, you want to see him finish, right? There's no guarantee. Like again, knock on wood. I hope y'all can hear this. We saw just happened to Jackson Smith and Jigba. There's no guarantee we actually get to see him again. There's no guarantee Ohio State's good next year and gets to play. That's the biggest game of his career, and he got knocked out when he was having a great game. And, yeah. then, and again, it was everything the same. No, no penalty, but it's just no concussion they kick the field goal Lathan Ransom falls all of that kind of stuff you can't you name have so much more and the country that you expect to make a play for you after CJ Stroud runs for 21 yards and puts you in field goal range like that slant that they ran to a, a mecca that didn't yeah. ha- like He's catching that. So that's why I would flip it. I know, like, for a lot of reasons, because they still did get down there, like, the kick it's probably is probably like more heartbreaking, but. Stab versus, like, getting poisoned. Like, one's, like, slowly just, like, hurting you. Like, Marvin Harrison, you're just like, man, if they had him, like, this would be great. And that's why it hurts, because you're like, man, that's that's a, that was Ohio State's best player. The miss kicked. It was just, like, a real, like, just. Boom, knife to the chest. Yeah. We're falling down. And then, happy new year, everybody. That didn't help. <laughs> yeah. No, it didn't. Clock strikes midnight. I, I, think, uh, I think we'll leave this one up to the tie. 
that's fair. I don't. I really don't think there's a way that I, I really don't think that there's a way that you can. Very subjective. This words. one. You know, you we always say this. You all can tweet at us uh, if you have an opinion. Which one you think is worse? Very subjective. But all all uh, four of those from the the Georgia game. It's just like yeah, man, it's so they, crazy. That was like honestly the four plays that really like. And I know you can't really win or lose a game on four plays, but it felt like that was the case with the Ohio State. Yeah. Sure. I mean, and I, I always struggle with this because it's like, where's the balance between truth and excuses? But it's like Ohio State, they didn't like mine wasn't fully healthy. They didn't have Trey. They lose. Oh, they were Clay. down. They lose tons Marvin. of players. JSN doesn't play all season. Like it's just like all of these little things, and it's like you you lose on your. Re- your reliable kicker for two straight years, Shanky one. Who made a game winner in a big spot last year. So it's just like, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's tough. That was tough. It's heartbreaking. It was a heartbreaking game. Sorry we had to make you relive that. Um, all right, next on the list, uh, we've got the See You Later Award. Which player are you happiest to see go for all the wrong reasons? Um, I'll let you go first on this one. Because I agree with it for the reasons you're about to say. Uh, mine is the Zach Harrison. Um, love Zach Harrison, but I'm ready to see him go because I'm so tired of the will he won't be. Zach Harrison is a good player. He's an above average run defender. He's going to be better in the league. If someone's smart enough to move him to three tech, he could be a how he could you know make remember, two or three Pro Bowler. Like and we did that, and it was amazing, <laughs> shocking, amazing. right? But I'm tired of this. This is going to be the year that Zach. Harrison breaks out. It's going to be the year he's going to be a first round pick. It's going to be the year he's going to get eight or nine sacks. Zach he Harrison, five star. Zach Harrison, 6'5, 260, runs a 4'3. Like, listen, I get all that, but he was never going to be that. He's Don't not. run a 4'3 in defense. Man. Like, you, yeah. there's not a single time on the field where you're running a 4'3. No, it's, so it's just like, I'm, I'm ready to see him go because I'm tired of the narrative around it. Like, he was a good player. Did he live up to the hype? Not necessarily. Yeah, kinda, the, like, the hype is a little unfair too. Yeah. Like like he had a great career. End of the day, he had a great the hype would have been Chase Young. The hype would have been yeah, another he, he followed the Boses and Chase Young and he had a fifth star next to his name. Like Yeah, that's like he was in an unenviable position, honestly. But he still had a good career. He still made a lot of great plays. He is just, as I've said before, he's the Davian Clown. He's the Forrest Buckner. He's not Miles Garrett. He's not Nick Bosa. He's not Joey Bosa. He's not Chase Young. He's not your dominant pass rusher, but he's a he's a great Number two, and he's an Freak above athlete. average. He's an above average run stop, run stuffer. Which any four three needs. Four yeah. three, you need your ultimate pass rusher. You need your guy who's going to stop the run. If you have two great pass rushers and no one can stop the run, they're just going to gas you. So, but I'm happy to see uh, you him know what? If Zach Harrison becomes the next true dominant three technique in the league, I think we need to like get reparations from Larry Johnson. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I'm gonna find him in his uh, wherever he retired to in Florida with his family, and, and we go have, have a conversation. Request him every day, like five dollars. <laughs> See this every time Zach Harrison has a big game at the three technique, and request requests of five dollars. Uh, but all jokes aside, um, he, he had a solid career. He was a solid football player. Um, following Chase Young with a five star. 
recruiting profile was horrifying. I, I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. Uh, he outperformed a lot of players in his class, and he had a, he's good. But I think one of our biggest complaints this year was Larry Johnson played the old guys too much and the young guys not enough. And now he's got no excuse. So Because they're going to be the old guys, finally. Yeah. All right, so my CU later player of the year is actually two players, and I have it in the notes as the two Johnsons, uh, J.K. Johnson and Jalen Johnson. And my real answer was Zach Harrison, but I had a, I felt like I had to put out a nominee. And it's because it got too confusing during the offseason when we were prepping. Yeah, I still don't know which one. Like, like I like Jalen Johnson went to Memphis, and J.K. Johnson went to LSU. So that puts it into perspective the levels they're at and jk like i'm i was shocked at the jk johnson leaving uh not as shocked at the jalen johnson leaving because he definitely him and johnson done same class both kind of got passed up wasn't Um, jk johnson the one that was injured uh he started those what yeah he started those few games then got injured and then cam brown and jordan hancock came back and then, yeah, he fell out of favor from there after starting like four games. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know why he would transfer, but hey, you know, gotta do what you gotta he, do. He is going to play for his old high school DB coach at LSU, which was interesting. Yeah, I'm not mad at that. You know, and this is like just because I brought up LSU. LSU is getting a lot of hype for these way too early top twenty fives, and this is a big reason why we shouldn't do them because. Chip Kelly had his most talented roster in I don't know how long, and they still lost four games. Hmm. And, like, I get it. Like, you're getting Jaden Daniels back. Harold Perkins will be a sophomore. Like, I get it. I do. But, like, Jaden Daniels, like, that good that you want him back? You also – like, I don't – I'm not predicting Alabama to be better, but you also did run into the worst Alabama team in, like – six years. Uh, no, they probably weren't worse than 2018. Is that the last time they missed the playoffs? That team was, was really that bad. The, yeah. Was that 2018? Because uh, Jalen Hurts played in the championship, right? Then he yeah. did it, and then Tua took over. So yeah, it had to be that year. Yeah, so they may not have been worse than that, but you ran into like the worst Alabama team in a while. Like Texas A&M is trash. Like, yeah, so um, I don't know. I don't know that I would hype them. But I also... Like Brian Kelly's gonna win nine ten games next year. I, I don't have any reason to believe he won't, but it's winning the SEC, like the hype that they're putting is like they're gonna be in the playoffs. And I just don't believe we weren't that. even close to being Georgia, that's for sure. And people have them ranked higher than Ohio State. So and like I don't wanna be like a homer all the time, but like come on. Ohio State was a kick away from being the national champion, and they're not the second best team in the country. Yeah, that's why. What a few days ago, I tweeted uh, my way too early top twenty-five. Please stop doing this. <laughs> it's horrible. They're the worst. They're the worst form of content in college football. Especially because, like, if you're gonna do them, which you shouldn't, but if you're gonna do them, you should do them after after spring ball. Not, like, you're doing it now until the transfer portal deadline. The draft deadline's over. Like, uh, they were coming out the hour after the national championship game was over. Yeah, what is his name? Jalen Rashada, some Rashada. He's trying He's trying to leave uh, Florida and all this other kind of stuff. Like, well, it's just so, like you never know what's going to happen. You know what's happen. funny about that is on three was the one who reported like 
he was like getting lied to about at Miami about his NIL deal. And they also reported that he wanted out of his uh, national letter of intent. And or yeah, that's what those are called. They're both NILs. Wow, that's crazy. You even notice that. But and then he tweeted at Hayes Fawcett or Instagram DM'd him and he said, Where are you guys getting this story from? And it's like, is this dude just trolling on three sports because they like messed with his money? Listen, I couldn't tell you. All I know is that on three, you are about uh, a couple more really bad things away from becoming PFF. Um, you are going to be a most hated uh, on this podcast if you don't get your shit together. Yeah, honestly, the only thing PFF is good for is snap counts. Yeah. <laughs> Because they have enough people to waste their time doing it. Well, yeah. Fun fact. I learned this listening to Buckeye Talk was they actually use Dan Hope's snap counts from 11 Warriors. So the only difference is they put it all in a database and you don't have to go look at individual articles. Yeah. Which is kind of worth like the $8.99 a month, but it's not at the same time. So I don't need to know the snap counts that bad. No. All right, what do we have less? Our, our worst takes of the year. We've got – I asked for some fan nominations a little too late in the day. Got off work, fired out the tweet, got a few back. I'm going to see if I got any more on there. Uh, but the first one, and I think we've pointed back to this one quite a bit this year. Uh, Court Williams will start over Ronnie Hickman. Oh, my gosh, man. Pretty sure he was willing to put money down on it. So, yeah, I don't even remember who that guy was. I just know he hasn't messaged me in a while. And if he listens to this podcast, yes, I'm still talking shit about it because you really tried to argue with me so much and act like I didn't know what I was talking about for that you making tackler. a stupid ass tweet. Like, well, that's the thing. It's like. You know, you could have argued that Court Williams was going to play, right? Which, you know, injuries kind of derailed another season for him. But he wasn't going to take Ronnie Hickman's job. No. Like, that just didn't make any sense. And it was like, oh, well, the defense was bad. So, like, uh, you know, his stats are – what do you say? His, like, his stats aren't real. Uh, being a good player on a bad defense doesn't mean you're good. Like, there's all this stupid stuff, and it's like – He's literally not going to take his spot. There's, there's, yeah. there's no way it happens. And then until Lathan came on, Ronnie Hickman was the favorite son of the coach. And it's just like, what are you talking about? Like, he literally was like, this defense says, even though he like, like, he may have liked Lathan Ransom more, but he knew that Ronnie Hickman was the most important. Gonna be a guy. He was like, like the defense doesn't run without him. He immediately put him at the adjusted position. Like, and we didn't say Ronnie Hickman's name all season. And you want to know why? Because he didn't make a mistake that I can he think of did his job. all season. And that's how you want your free safety to be. So that is easily one of the worst takes, especially because dude quadrupled down on it. Literally would like tweet me out of nowhere about it. And it's like, you're wrong. Anytime Court Williams' name would come up in something, he's like, see, look, he's going to take the. No, you're not. No, he's not. Talking about his leadership again. (laughs) Court Williams is the captain. He didn't even play. So you can't keep leadership off the field. Yeah. Oh my God. That I don't even want to get into the game. the worst <laughs> the worst take of the year. Ohio State picking the captains that they picked. Like that was a joke. None of them none of them contributed. Well, I will say you don't need to play to be a captain, but you should have like at least a few. But, like Tommy 
Because there's a lot that goes into football, and you and I both know that, like, on the day-to-day basis. And that's also one thing where it's like, yeah, you let the the players pick. And I, I guess I kind of have to respect it. They made their choice. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's from the players. I just think it's funny. Like, I don't remember all the captains. But like, like, if the coaches picked, that would not have been that. They, yeah. they would not have been captains. But, like, none of them contributed. Like, like all of them were just, like, feel-good stories. That's crazy. Yeah, uh, you know what? Like, since we're here, captains, I was ready to make a block over prediction right now. It just came to me because we're talking about like players who I think be Tommy, right? No, it's going to be Xavier Johnson. Ah, I mean, like that's cool, but like, Tommy's not changing his number. But it's just be Tommy, right? We'll see. I'm not going to be Cade. I'm not going to be Cade. I'm not going to complain about Xavier Johnson because he's good and he did contribute. Not as much as other people, but he did contribute. It, it's whatever. But I feel like it should be Tommy or JT. No, I don't think JT's a vocal enough leader. And it seems to go to, like, older guys. like Older guys. Yeah. It seems to go to guys who... Who are less of like, uh, like what? It went to Jonathan Cooper, local kid, kind of, kind of a feel good story. Um, you're probably right. it's, it's probably probably a feel good. I guess Thayer Munford was a big contributor. Yeah. Uh, it could be like that's kind of it's tough, but I got Xavier Johnson. That's where my money's on. If we'll I had to, on Fanduel. If I had to put money, I'd say Xavier Johnson. But if I had to pick who it should be, it should be Tommy. And it's not just because the Tommy train. It's because of what he means to the defense, his leadership style, and the fact that he came back instead of going to the NFL. Like, I genuinely think Tommy is top three most important players on the roster. Like, it's it's Tommy, it's the whoever's going to be the left tackle, and it's Marvin Harrison Jr. are the top three most important players for us next year. Yeah, a hundred percent. So it'd be interesting. I just, I just had that moment because I thought of another best moment on the year when I was kind of talking about that, and that's why the number came to me. So let's get to another one uh, fan pick. I have this one with two asterisks by it because only one athletic member picked Ohio State to win, and it's not that they all picked right. It's that they all picked it to be a blowout and didn't think the game was going to be close. Uh, if Ohio State won, I would be I would have plastered that article everywhere just to like laugh. That kick went through the uprights. I don't think the world would have been ready for me on the internet. It wouldn't have been safe. I'd have been dangerous, man. You know, <laughs> now I'm like the Joker. I'm like walking to Phoenix when he's ripping the cigarette. He's like, you just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have been like, I'd have been like Denzel at the end of training day. You think you could do this to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I would have been insufferable. It would have been awesome. I put you in Pelicans Bay. Shoot program. 23-hour lockdown. Like, yeah. <laughs> Get off Twitter. Stop. Quit your job. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It would have been incredible. Uh, all right. And then another one. Someone said there were some wild Big Ten QB takes. Yeah, there was definitely some about Peyton Thorne. Um, JJ McCarthy the guy? being good. Northwestern's quarterback. Yeah. Oh my God. Especially him. Like what? Like the takes on him were yeah. nuts. Like yeah. Who else do we have? There were some other big ones. Uh, Graham Mertz. Everyone was like, he's ready to take it on. He's ready to be the best quarterback in the Big Ten. New offensive coordinator. Yeah. 
fail. So, yeah, there were actually some wild Big Ten quarterback takes. There's more than like, you know, it's one award. Uh, my worst take on the year. Uh, I think this one, this one probably doesn't qualify because I, I did think Georgia would lose because I th- it's hard to go undefeated. Not my worst take. I didn't actually write one down uh, because I do have quite a few rough takes on here. I thought Ohio State was going to kill Notre Dame. Uh, I didn't. Honestly, it was probably my overconfidence going into Happy Valley. Like I was absolutely convinced that it was going to be an absolute cooking. And I think like if you went back and listened to the podcast, see, I, I was probably convinced Ohio State was going to win like sixty-three to six. Yeah, that's a good one because I was super confident on the Notre Dame thing too, especially because. It's my fault for believing all of the the not Notre Dame Penn State. Uh, it's my fault for believing all of the actual Penn State people who just said that like Happy Valley does not turn up for noon games. And so me being the dumbass was like Happy Valley doesn't tune up for noon games. They're not going to be there. I've been to Happy Valley for a noon game. They packed it out for that noon game just because of Ohio State. So that that's a good one. My worst take was not actually given on this podcast, but it's still my worst take of the year. I had Wisconsin going undefeated and winning the West. I thought this was going to be a year where things kind of went back to normal. Uh, it's not so much that I believed in Graham Merch. It's just they still had Nick Herbog. They had Ryan. Like, I thought they were going to do it. I was very, very wrong. That that was uh, easily my worst take of the year. Might be right if you keep that take this year. You got a yeah, real oh coach. God, Luke Fickle's going crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a big year. I think, yeah, it's hard because I, I do feel like, don't get me wrong, like we're not perfect in everything we say, but we talk a lot. We have long shows. We have a lot of takes. Uh, I'm sure you guys could call out some of our worst ones. I prefer you don't, but <laughs> I'm sure you could. Um, and yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, obviously I'm not going to like give myself any problems for thinking J- Jackson Smith and Jim was going to go for 2000 yards. Sorry. His hamstring got busted. Like sue me. Yeah. I'm, that's not a bad take. That's just unfortunate. Oh, I had this bad. Well, it wasn't a bad take because it wasn't a full take. I just said, hey, maybe the receivers aren't going to be as good this year. And I still might be right about that. No, you're. we were absolutely right about that. Like, I mean, like, we saw the difference. We talked about Emeka kind of like falling down a little bit down the stretch and things like that. Marvin Harrison Jr. was great, but the receivers as a collective, you got to remember last year, JSN was our third receiver. Yeah, that's true. I was I was still right. All right, cool. That kid, yeah. We'll move that one down the section. Yeah, you, you were right about that. All right. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think we need to harp on our worst takes. It's a podcast. You guys come and listen. We, we shoot shit. It's what we do. We have fun and we shoot out our takes. And a lot of the time we are pretty spot on. Like, I don't think our score predictions were, I think we had one game where we were close on score predictions this year, but hey, that's part of the fun. Yeah. If, you, if you're holding us to our score predictions, like, what are you, why, why are you here? What are yeah. you doing here? Yeah, 100%. All right. So we did the worst awards. We did our Razzies. Um, call those the Buckies. We'll call these the Brutus Awards, the best awards. Uh, I should have came up with that before the show started. I didn't. I'm sorry, guys. But the Brutus, the best awards. Uh, we'll get started with an easy one, the team MVP. Um, 
I feel like there's really two options here, and I really have to concede on the first one. I'm going to say it. It's C.J. Stroud. You lose the number one receiver coming into the season. You lose your running backs for big chunks of the year. You have um, a defense that's not fully there yet, and you're really just kind of struggling at any time you need to run the ball. So you're basically relying on C.J. Stroud to make a play at all times. I think you really – was once again not the reason Ohio State lost to Michigan. I don't think he's the reason Ohio State was in the game against Georgia in the end. Uh, And I don't think this year goes well without C.J. Stroud. And I think he really rebuilt the foundation of Ohio State after, you know, kind of the faltering defenses. Yeah. Um, I don't want to stoke the flames because if we're being honest, he's probably not coming back. But CJ Stroud hasn't announced yet, which I think means he's at least considering coming back. I fully understand why he would come back. But it just really sucks that his legacy isn't going to be what it should be because he's tied to four games. Yeah. And he's, you know, no Big Ten championship, no win against Michigan, uh, you know, a blowout loss. uh, No, he wasn't the quarterback for the blowout loss to Alabama. Uh, Didn't make the playoff one year. So it's unfortunate, but uh, he has a chance to come back. He probably shouldn't. Uh, I would love him forever if he did. I'm going to love him forever if even if he doesn't. But, um, yeah, he was definitely the MVP of the season. He was a difference maker, uh, by far the best player, just different. And it just sucks because, like, I mean, just think about the tra- trajectory of quarterbacks, right? We went from JT to Dwayne to Justin. Great. Yeah. To CJ. Like, they just kept going up. Like, even if you think Justin is better than CJ, you may like him better, but, like, he, especially as a pure quarterback, he's, I don't think he's smarter and more intelligent. I don't think he reads defense better, and he definitely doesn't throw the ball better except the deep ball. You could argue that our last four, actually, our last five, because you could argue that JT was better than Terrell, not Terrell. Um, Braxton, Braxton, at quarterback, yeah. You could argue that every single one, our last five quarterbacks have gotten better, and this is probably going to be the first year that we take a decline. Even if they're still good, it's going to be a decline. Like, can like who's going to say that the next quarterback is going to be as good as Stroud or Justin Fields? Justin Fields. And like, if they are, like, Ryan Day, like, lifetime contract. I don't care about his record of Michigan. <laughs> you, you know how hard it is to find consistent quarterback play. It is so incredibly hard. If Ryan Day goes four for four, and I'm counting Dwayne to his name. Yeah. If he goes four for four on first round picks, that's <laughs> that's nuts. Like that's nuts. Geez. There's not another coach in the old Lincoln Riley, but he doesn't have like at least uh, Day went out and got a real defensive coordinator, like. Yeah, Lee Carrelli does that. Like they're not in the same category to me. And um, what's his name? Just came back for a fifth year because he's not good. So Caleb Williams is going to be the first uh, quarterback developed. that he's recruited Start and to fully finish. developed. That wasn't a transfer because Spencer Rattler just was not it. So yeah, yeah, and you know uh, Baker wasn't in the NFL. It's not Kyler's, looking great for Kyler. And um, you could argue that Jalen Hurts, um, 
he became Jalen Hurts in the NFL. This is not college Jalen Hurts. I'm not what Jalen yeah. Hurts is right like, now. He was starting to do that stuff at Oklahoma, but it was really still a lot of that. I, Throw the mess route, get it to the speed guy, occasionally hit on a deep ball. But he's layering passes. He's hitting all yeah. three levels of the field with accuracy now. He like you know we talked about this a few weeks ago. Like, he just has such a determined work ethic that like no one was going to stop him from being a successful quarterback. Yeah, I think you're being too nice. He didn't show any of what he's doing in the NFL. And I don't even think he ran this one at Oklahoma. Well, I don't think Oklahoma. Yo, he ran that well. That's how Alabama won their first championship. With him. Well, I said at Oklahoma. He ran that well at Alabama. Oh, yeah. Well, but, that's because he was trying to show everybody that he could throw the ball. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't really tie much of his success in the NFL to Oklahoma. I think, like, I think that this is – I think that who the Eagles hired and the way they built the team around him and, you know, actually being smart and getting Devontae Smith and then trading for A.J. Brown, like – that yeah, you know, it's helped. like getting receivers. Yeah, and for- getting uh, a coach who believes in you, i.e. what Justin Fields didn't have his first year, really helped him. I, I'm not crediting Jalen Hurts to – to uh, Lincoln Riley, and I'm not. Yeah, a I don't think you should credit you are, but I think he doesn't the, count in that. Where Jalen Hurts, like the only reason like Oklahoma deserves any credit is because they needed a quarterback and they let Jalen Hurts throw. Yeah, and you could argue he became a slightly better passer, but I watched those games. He was still not a good passer. I watched them. I remember. Yeah, <laughs> like he wasn't yeah, the me. <laughs> Yeah, but like I like we like I said, he layers his throws down, and that's really once you see a quarterback. I, I think even Justin Fields needs to work on layering his throws still, for sure. Um, and that's like his next step. But I think Jalen Hurts is honestly a very and like I hate to do this, like I hate typecasting quarterbacks, but I think just from a trajectory standpoint, that's a very good one for the Bears to like build it on blueprint wise. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think Justin Fields has a higher ceiling, but you let him play, you show, you make him prove that he deserves to be built around, and then you do everything in your power to provide to everything yeah. that he needs, and that's what they did. That's what the Bears need to do. I don't know who the AJ Brown is, but they need to trade for him. Like they need to get, they need to draft the guy. They need to trade for him. They need to build the defense. Like. They they have to spend that hundred mil, like spend that, build around Justin Fields. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, let's get to team MVP outside of CJ Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Tommy Eichenberg. Because when we came up with this category, it was too easy to do one outside of CJ Stroud. It was either Marvin Harrison Jr. or Tommy Eichenberg. So outside of them. I don't know. Honestly, there's a lot of good options now. Yeah, I was gonna. I thought I had one, and then it literally just came to me who the actual answer is. I think mine's Paris Johnson. Damn, I was just gonna say that. Okay, so I'm uh, damn same page. That's pretty cool. It's fine. We we tried to do do the different things, but we're just gonna unanimous decision. Paris Johnson. Yeah, okay. I was just thinking of the defense, and I wanted to say, like, oh, maybe JT, you know, maybe one of these guys. But none of them, like, really did enough. And Paris Johnson Jr. was going to be a first-round pick, and then he was, like, definitively a first-round pick and a consensus American. So it's like, yeah. even if I wanted to argue for someone else, like, eh, they're really not. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot of guys right below. Like, if we did C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Tommy Eichenberg – and Paris Johnson Jr. Which we honestly could have, but somebody, uh, Johnny, it was, we got to pick somebody. Got in somewhere. Yeah. Uh, 
there would have been like eight guys where I could have seen it. But uh, yeah, and so I, I mention this all the time. I should probably stop saying it because you all just understand it at this point. One of the podcasts that I listen to a lot is Prospect of Pros on the Athletic, and it's you. I think you can listen to it anywhere, but. Um, the reason why I listen to it is Dane Brugler is one of the only draft experts I respect because he's not clickbaiting. He he's grinds like film. Yeah, he actually like grinds film and like his money's not made by like, you know, just saying stuff. It's made by like being right and actually like learning about these prospects and stuff. And the the change, the tonal change and the things that he has said about Paris Johnson, this junior, really showcase how good he was. And it's never that he was low on him. It was that, yeah, he was a five star. But last year he played guard. Can he play tackle? Can he really do it? And throughout the season, it raised, it raised, it raised. And that's all due to Paris Johnson. Like he was everything that like he lived up to the recruiting hype. He was everything that he was supposed to be. The five star lockdown tackle. Um, and we we learned from the coaches and Justin Fry the work that he put in in the offseason to like the work that he put in by himself to get used to playing out in space and things like that. And all of that showed and that ability to work by yourself and that like internal, you know, drive to be a great player, to not rely on someone, to not need the coaches to tell you what to do. That's going to make him successful in the NFL. Like there's a lot of really good young tackles in the NFL. So I'm not going to say he's going to be one of the best. Like you have Penae Sewell, you have uh, Rashawn Slater, you have these guys who were all pros their rookie year and stuff like that. I'm not saying he's going to do that. I'm not saying he's going to be on that level. But I, I, I don't see him. Like, who, who's, the, um, who's the Ohio State tackle that's on the Titans? Um, I always get mixed up with Jack Conklin, but Jack Conklin's from Michigan. Or is it yeah, Jack I- Conklin? No, Jack Conklin. Taylor Lewan's from Michigan. Jack Conklin's Michigan State. Uh, It's Taylor Deckard. He's on the Lions. Okay, him. He could easily be Taylor Deckard. Like, Taylor Deckard is not the best offensive tackle in the league. The floor for him without an album. Yeah, like. Not the best offensive tackle in the league, but he's a multi-multi-year starter, a very solid player. You're not drafting nobody over him. Like I definitely think that that is the floor. I think he has a high floor, and if he really if he keeps putting in the work and grinding like this, I think he can be a star. So, yeah, I, think, I agree with that. I think we were right on the same page. Yeah, and it's just hard. It's like there's a, like obviously there are. We're not, we weren't going to do a least valuable player here, but there are definitely some names that will pop into your head when I say those words. But there, after after those four guys, I think it just shows how solid the team was. Like, it would have been really hard to choose. For sure. All right. Next on the list, that kind of actually goes to the next guys we we're talking about on the list, the unheralded hero of the team this year. Uh, I think there's plenty of names to throw around here. Um, there's a lot of different reasons for this. Um, I think I'm going to go with Dallin Hayden here for mine, my unheralded hero. Uh, you know, I, I, he did. I don't think anyone expected Dallin Hayden to play much this year. I don't think anyone expected him to be good this year. And he had multiple hundred yard games and had some really big plays and moments where Ohio State needed him. And I think it's going to get lost in the shuffle with the amount of talent returning to that room this year. But I, I really do think Ohio State season could have fallen off a cliff if they didn't have a reliable running back like Dallin Hayden. 
right there ready to go. Yeah, that's a really good pick. And um, you almost made me change mine. But like for me, I'm sorry. This is not a bit. This is just genuinely how I feel. I know it's not going to be surprising. You're going to be tired of it. But for me, it's Tommy. I don't think people really understand his impact. I don't think people understand how important it was to have a linebacker who is one of your best players and your leading tackler. I don't think people understand the importance of a hundred tackle season by a linebacker. I, I just don't think people like because especially because Jim knows them all talk about the safeties I don't think people understand the importance of a middle linebacker in football in general but especially in this defense he wasn't heralded he wasn't respected by national media I don't think he's respected by fans because you have people saying they want CJ Hicks to play over him yeah um, they still compare him to tough Borland which is yeah like I, I just like, like Dallin Hayden is a great one and he's probably 1B he's definitely you know um and I, I would argue you could say Emeka as well because yeah, like he's just Emeka a reliable safe supposed to be what he was, and he was that, and he was like Marvin Harrison Jr. in the first couple of weeks of the season was big, was boomer bust. He wasn't that consistent. Like he wasn't getting the eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve catches. He was getting three for a hundred yards and a touchdown. Where Emeka was getting eleven for ninety, picking up the first downs. So between those three, I don't think you could go wrong. But I. For me, I think it's Tommy. I just think that I think that linebacker is still more important than people realize, and I don't think the defense improves as much as it as it does without him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing is like Jim Knowles would love to live in a world where his front six can be completely separated from the back five. Like if he could like literally call his front six and back five, like he could just leave his back five and cover one and just let his front six do whatever he can. He wants to do with twists, blitzes and all that stuff. Like that'd be his goal. And you can't do that without great linebacking plan. I think he was able to do that a lot this year. So I, I think in a way, yeah, I think you're right. That Tommy is an unheralded hero. Um, Mecca was a good name. I think you brought up. Uh, I'll give Zach Harrison some love here. I think he brought a consistency his past deflections he made some big plays i think given his reputation i I think some of what he does is a little bit unheralded and there's one more i had that kind of fit in this and then xavier johnson to like the like the it's like fun level like and i don't think he was unheralded i think by the end of the year the x-man was like a very well-known commodity for just being a game breaker yeah, I, I agree with all of those. I think another one that you can put in is Jack Sawyer because, like, he broke out a little bit later than, um, you know, JT did, and he didn't have all the numbers, but uh, he made some big plays when it mattered. And it's one of those things where we say sometimes when you don't say someone's name, it's it, a lot of times it means because they're doing good. Um, and we didn't really have a backup for him at his position because Mitchell Melton got injured and Kate Curry wasn't ready. So uh, I, I think he's further on the list. Like, I think there's a gap between him and some of the people that we mentioned. But I do think he didn't get the respect that he deserved because he wasn't, you know, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve sacks. And he didn't have all the smack, all the all the, um, you know, the highlight plays. But he was. above average, very solid player who did something that not many people on the roster can do. Like, I don't think JT could play his position, right? So, obviously, because he's not doing it. So, 
still think there's a gap, but I did want to at least bring him up because I feel like, you know, we haven't talked about him as much. For a while, it was JT and Jack, and now it's kind of been like JT, JT, JT. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, you know what? I'm feeling pretty generous. I say we just give the award to all of them. I love it. They're all unheralded, so let's give them a heralded award. The buck off unheralded heroes go to all the names we just listed because I kind of forgot all of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a lot. It was JTE. Oh no, it was it was Jack. It was Tommy. It was Xavier. It was Omeka. It was Dallin. Was that it? I yeah, five. So yeah, five people get the award. All That's right. fair. Five way tie. Um, all because they all had different reasons, honestly. All right, so let's get to the best play category. Um, I might go cut these up so we, we can post them tomorrow. Um, but, yeah, let's get into it. We'll just go in order of the ones, we, how we wrote them down. Uh, JT, Tuamalayu's pick six against Penn State. Like It was just such an individual performance of the ages. Like, you, you have like you know so we talked about the Northwestern game and how the national writers kind of really botched covering that they did not botch covering JT Tuamalayu's game against Penn State that was one of the most dominant performances since Dom Kinsu played football and his pick six was just incredible absolutely I, I mean like what can you say? He almost had another one. He almost had another one. Yeah, so uh, that that was definitely it. What, what's the next one? What do we have? Uh, also, JT. watching Sean Clifford throwing that pick six at JT to put the game on ice was just an incredible way, you know, to kind of end Sean Clifford's career against Ohio State. Storybook, one could say. Yeah, for us in the comedic, uh, that is, so like in Shakespeare, it's tragedies and like with the negative comedies, it is a comedy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, tragedy for them, comedy for yeah. us. It's funny how you can just look at a story and see both sides like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what, what? So we got Stroud's run to set up a field goal next in the national championship game against Georgia. Uh, you hear the critics, you hear everyone saying, man, he needs to run more. He finally did. He was saving it for the right moment, and that moment was just incredible. You know, and it's like that run felt like it was like an eternity long run. And, you know, they had all that build up. You had like the Big Ten, the journey, like stuff. You had all the doubters. They're talking about the music game. And Stroud puts the best game of his career on tape, and then he runs to set up that field goal in the end. Ah, oh, you know, it's an emotional play. It was a great play. Absolutely. Uh, one thing that I found interesting about, like, all this stuff that came out about Stroud is that <laughs> uh, Stroud's dad used to argue with his high school coach because Stroud's dad wanted him to run more in high school and his head coach didn't want him to. And I was just like, man, so people have been arguing about him running the ball since he was in high school. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah, I remember seeing that. That was that was funny. And his high school coach got him to Ohio State. So I can't say he was wrong. I mean I can, but I yeah. I should I mean, <laughs> like you, you I, could. I, yeah, he could. But once again, uh, yeah, seeing a kid from Rancho Cucamonga High School go to Ohio State was pretty crazy, honestly. So in Huntington Beach, like there is this big passing tournament that, that high school co- that hosted his high school did. And I'm a little ahead of him. What he was class of twenty nineteen. Something so like we weren't that. even in high school at the same time. So 
Um, God, that's that makes me feel old. But uh, yeah, like their high school was never really like that, like cream of the crop. And then they weren't very good his first two years, which kind of hurt his recruiting. And then that third year, he won. I think he won the league. And then they went nine and four, won a playoff game against like a really good football team. And I, it's just crazy when you see, because like we were so used to seeing like the Catholic school kids from that area, like not to like knock Bryce Young because he's ultra talented, but he started at Cathedral in Los Angeles, and then he transferred to Modern Day, and everyone across the country knows Modern Day in right. Southern California. Um, Stroud was in the same area, doing the same camps, doing the same things. And he was at a public high school in Rancho Cucamonga. And I really love seeing those stories like that. And it would have been a great story if he wasn't Ohio State's quarterback. Yeah. But I, I just like that story a lot more. He got it out the mud. Straight up, straight down. Uh, 100%. Uh, all right. Marvin Harrison Jr. somewhere, somehow gets his foot down. Honestly, I can't even remember the opponent, but I, I just remember the like actual catch and the toe tap so vividly. Yeah, was it was it? No, it was later in the season. Notre Dame. Who was it? Was it was it Northwest? Was it Wisconsin? It was Indiana. Indiana. Oh, I had man. a feeling. I had a feeling it was Indiana. But I didn't want to say it to be wrong. But everyone knows the catch I'm talking about. I don't think we need to talk about it. He had like 16 catches like that. Or where's the one he touched his toes? Was that in the Rose Bowl? I can't remember. He had a lot of good catches. Yeah. Uh, he yeah, he did have a crazy ass one in the Rose Bowl. That's the one where he was like falling and he like caught it over his shoulder and somehow he got his foot in. Yeah. yeah. That was also from 2022. So it still counts. It does. Actually, that's crazy. Cause it, it, it actually does. Um, Tommy's touchdown. Like, come on. Tommy gets a pick six. Like, you know, it was against Iowa. <laughs> you know that was going to be on it. It doesn't matter who it was against. Tommy had a pick six. You knew we, yeah. as the foremost authority and the Tommy Eichenberg train, uh, you knew that had to be on here if you know anything about us. Yeah, 100%. It was fun. It was a ball that got tipped up. And then Tommy, right place, right time, turned into six. But, you know, a lot of linebackers like Tommy, like, and I hate to do this comparison again because it's just so inaccurate. But Tough Borland, remember when he got that interception? And it was like he was literally carrying like six cement blocks on his shoes. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, that's the thing, like Tommy Tommy's just cut. Tommy he's made a, a cut got the end zone. Yeah, he's a sneaky he athlete. Like he went. He went. When he got the ball, he went. And there was no one keeping him out of the end zone from getting a pick from like 15 yards out. No. So you don't get that opportunity often. You're not he's not steel chambers, guys. Yeah, not at all. Uh and there's a lot of linebackers in, throughout the history of Ohio State that would have got tackled at like the 10. He caught on the 15, they would have got tackled at the 10. So Yeah, that is funny. That is funny. That's a good way to put it. Uh, all right, and the last one, I think this one probably gets the nod. Uh, I thought about it when we were doing the block. Oh, I didn't have it on here before the show started, which, you know Shame what? Sue me again. Sue me again. Who cares? Uh, if someone actually sues me for this, I'd be pretty upset if I get a cease <laughs> I mean, you tempted uh, them. I did. Uh, you guys can't legally sue me over this. This podcast is a satire. <laughs> uh, Cam Bab touchdown. Beautiful I, moment. Is, yeah, I, I don't have the words. I mean, we had the instant recap after that game. Putting that into like perspective was not easy. 
Like, no. we don't know Cam bad personally. We know his battles. His battles have been well documented. He's been through the ringer from an injury standpoint. And if you've ever gone under the knife for surgery, you know the time it takes, the commitment it takes to get back. It's not fun. It's not a pleasant feeling. And to do it as many times as he did, you know, getting another setback in the offseason, like a lot of people were worried is going to be season ending and he wasn't going to get this opportunity. Another year, another work. He just kept working. He provided leadership to the team. And man, uh, he scored the touchdown. Yeah. Like when I look back at like, you know, actually becoming like an older person and talking to like kids and grandkids and things like that. I genuinely think that that's going to be a story that I tell, like not only watching that, but then being able to like podcast and like, that was so much pressure trying to put that into words. And like, we do this for fun, right? Like for the most part, like we're fans, just like everyone else. Uh, Obviously we take it serious because why would you listen to us if we didn't? But it, I don't know about you, but I felt so much pressure, like trying to like adequately talk about that. And that's going to be yeah, one right. of my fondest memories about Ohio State. I felt like there wasn't like a specific amount of time that gave that moment like enough like weight to it. Like, yeah. I felt like there could have been a podcast about it specifically. And. You know, seeing him go down and pray, you know, if you're a religious person like that, it's just like a moment with him himself, all the things he went through. And he's very much given a lot of credit to his faith for keeping him on the path he was on. And, um, yeah, seeing his teammates, seeing C.J. Stroud holding everybody back, giving him his moment, taking the penalty just to, like, let everybody celebrate with him. I mean, I it took that Indiana game and just made it like a lifetime memory. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's easily the best. That, I mean, that's the best thing that happened all year. Probably that's the best thing that we've talked about um, on this podcast. And, and it's and I wrote a I wrote an article about it. If you didn't get a chance to read it. Um, I'd love if you did, but I I essentially wrote about the magic of college football and how you don't typically get that at Ohio State because Ohio State's such a factory, but we got the T.C. Caffey run, which we didn't mention, but should also be in here. The T.C. Caffey run as an Ohio born and raised walk-on, and then we obviously the Camp Bab thing, and it's like things like that don't really happen. You don't get those cool stories at Ohio State all the time, and we had two of them this season, and that in my opinion is what separates college sports in general from everything else, right? Like, you don't get the magic of March Madness in the NFL, right? Like, you don't get the magic of a walk-on, like... Freaking J.J. Watt, who's just retiring, one of the best ever, first ballot Hall of Famer, was a walk-on at, at Wisconsin. Like, he had a scholarship to another school, and he didn't. He was like, I'm not happy here. He asked his parents if they would support him and pay for him to go to Wisconsin, and he did it, and he became one of the greatest ever. Like, that only happens in college. Like, sure, J.J. Watt's NFL story is cool, but it's not as cool as the college one. It's not as cool as him being a walk-on. It's not as cool as Cam Babb fighting through three knee surgeries right and so definitely uh definitely yeah, abs- absurd an absurd story uh, it, it's is that one i think it's it's definitely the moment of the year for sure um, i think it's the moment of the year in all of college football and you can call us a homer yeah. but i can't think of a moment better than that yeah, honestly, I think you're I think you're right. 
it should be nominated for that in the ESPYs, like that their moment of the year type thing. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I, I hope it is. I hope it is. I think it should win. Yeah, one hundred percent. All right. Um, to end the show on a more lighted mood, instead of final thoughts, we're going to give you guys our best takes from the year. Um, we've got a pair here. Um, you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Um, I'll go first because it's it becomes slightly depressing with who they just hired today. But my best take was Alabama and Clemson taking a step back. And people are going to say, oh, they only won two games. Da, 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 da. Yeah, but when, you're, when you win six national championships in 15 years and when – Clemson won two in three years or something like that. Them like barely winning their conference, struggling, having, you know, poor quarterback play. This is Clemson, obviously not Alabama. Alabama losing two games and almost losing a third to Texas. Like that was a down year for them. And I predicted that and I tried to tell people, you know, for these reasons. And I had all the stuff. We did the preview podcast and all that kind of stuff. And everyone yeah. thought I was crazy and hating and, and things like that. So, uh, I would say that was my best take. Uh, Bama's downfall, the, the the beginning of their downfall, um, is definitely up there. Clemson, I'll still credit, even though we started to see that last year. But um, yeah, I think that was my best take. Yeah, and I think I think you kind of nailed it on the head with Alabama. It's like there was not a single point in time where they looked invincible, like in like the Kansas State game. But Kansas State was never going to have any business on the field with them. Honestly, all we learned from this playoff is you catch Michigan on a bad day, you can beat them. And the Big 12 really doesn't belong on the field with teams of that talent composite level. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Alabama almost lost to Texas. They almost lost to Texas A&M. They almost lost to what? They lost. They, almost, they could have easily – Not and, like, I know this is how it works, but they very easily could have been a 500 football team this year. Yeah, and, like, spoiler alert – Unless Alabama says some crazy things or their quarterback impresses me, I'm probably going to predict them to lose three games next year. I've yeah, looked, at, I've looked I, at their schedule. I could tell you right now who I think they're going to lose to, but it's too early. we got to get through spring ball, got to get through the transfer portal, that kind of stuff. We made fun of Brian Kelly. LSU is going to be just as good next year. Um, you're going to have to go into Alabama to do it. Auburn's going to be better under Hugh Freeze. I know, like, I'm not a fan of Hugh Freeze. Jordan's not a fan of Hugh Freeze. But, like, he's good football coach. Like, personal reasons aside, like, he knows how to win football games. Um, you go down the list. Like, the SEC has talented football teams. And I, I think Georgia showed even – they had games where they fell asleep and weren't the best team on that given day at times. It's a lot harder when you don't hit on these like recruits and these guys leave, and they've already had a ton of roster turnover. So once again, they're not going to have any depth. Um, and you know, on the other side with Clemson, I'm not buying into them. Wait, their their roster is not changing. Their offensive line is still going to be bad. Yeah, I think they'll pass the ball a little bit better. But outside of that, like, I'm not. I'm. Not, I haven't bought in the Cade Clubnik, but you know, still probably run through the ACC though. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm very. I'm not like what I'm, most I'm people just, are where like they're I number said, four in the country. But I'm very interested in what Florida State's going to do next year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think I think Florida State is the one team where I think they're taking the steps forward. UNC with Drake May is going to be interesting, but 
It'll, it's it's going to be a tough one. For sure. Um, Absolutely. Um, the ACC is just so bad. It is, especially because all their good quarterbacks transferred to the Big 12, Pac-12. Um, yeah. All, all over the country, actually, because one of them went to Notre Dame. Uh, the one thing I do want to say, just to get this off my chest, Georgia, two back-to-back national championships, great. They're not Alabama. Because during Alabama's run, Alabama looked invincible. Georgia won two national championships in a row where they're two where the other team's best player got injured and knocked out the game. Georgia has looked very mortal in multiple games. Alabama wasn't winning playoff games by one point when they were winning. Georgia is the best team in college football right now, but they are not Bama. They are not that dynasty. Bama was different, and I need people to respect what Nick Saban was doing at Bama when they were winning. Georgia was a kick and Jamison Williams not getting knocked out away from not not even being in national championship. Well, no, the first one was in the national championship from having oh, being 0 for 2. Uh, so, just had to get that off my chest. But um, what is, what, what's your t- best take? Uh, my best take on the year was Lincoln Riley not making the playoff. I told everybody. I knew it. They were better than I thought, but I'm still going to take my victory lap because I love watching Lincoln Riley not make the playoff because he won't. What does Alex Grinch have on him? Yeah, he's well, like I said, like he's the fall guy. And until like Lincoln Riley needs a fall guy, he's not gonna fall. Got a scapegoat. But eventually, like, it's not gonna happen. He bought himself like five more years of this by leaving Oklahoma. Eventually, like, if your fall guy doesn't actually take more, right? the fall. Eventually, they're going to blame the head coach for not firing him. Like he has to want more, but I'm not sure he does. Like fans are already like USC fans are already done with Alex Grinch. Yeah, like that Tulane game put him over the edge. Oklahoma fans were done with them. Yeah, uh, that's why like Oklahoma fans weren't actually mad that he left. And to be honest, uh, a lot of people I told everybody I'm like I don't think Lincoln Riley's actually that good of a recruiter. Like. He really is kind of just living off his reputation at Oklahoma. And a lot of people weren't listening to me when I, everyone was like, hey, they're going to come in. They're going to have a top five class. Where are they at? Where are they at in that top five? I don't see them. <laughs> that class was getting really bad. <laughs> I need my binoculars to kind of see where they're at on the recruiting rankings. <laughs> That's hilarious. It, it's hilarious, uh, but very true. <laughs> so like, when you have Alex Grinch as your recruiter, you're not going to get any top defense or recruits i tried to tell everybody no nope chris he's a small time blogger that's what they say uh, i mean hey what do you know <laughs> yeah what do i know uh and then the other one texas being mid i hate this i texas is gonna be mid again next year steve sarkeesian's not an adult he's not a real coach Ooh. he basically assaulted a staff member because he told him to like wait that happens in every single football game all right hardo down the smell and salts. Um, they're losing. Like the fact that they couldn't like get more than 500 in Sark's first two years with Bijan Robinson at running back says everything you need to know. Yeah, I don't care who was at quarterback. You have Xavier Worthy and you have Bijan Robinson. Texas fans would come at me and say, "Oh, our line wasn't that good." Then why did Bijan Robinson have so many rush yards if they weren't that good? Literally, I mean, at the end of the day, like. 
Steve Steve Sarkeesian is a worse version of Tom Herman. He's just less racist, so people like him better. Like, Tom Herman was like, hey, I'm not going to make my majority black team sing the song that started when the people that was running the University of Texas had slaves and is literally a racist song. Like, the Ides of Texas or whatever it's called is literally a racist song. I'm not going to make my players sing a racist song, and they fired him. Steve Steve Sharkeesian is doing what he did, but not as well, but he's making the players sing the racist song. So they're like, oh, yeah, he's so good. He's not. He's not. They couldn't get Nick Saban, so they got the closest thing to Nick Saban at the time that wasn't Lane Kiffin. And they've been average. That's just the truth. They're going to stay average. Like, I don't know. It's not like I need to pull it up because I don't want to be completely wrong. But they didn't recruit well last year. They recruited better last year. Um, I don't think they, like, oh, they got the third class, 93 is their ranking. So, yeah, they're still behind Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State in that. But it means nothing to me until it, like, translates to the field. Yeah. And a lot of that's weighted by Arch Manning. So, not, we'll I, I will say that I am and not impressed. We, we don't think he's very good. He's mid. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I feel like I was pretty spot on with a lot of my national predictions. Uh, my biggest miss. All right. It's not really a miss. It's, we were never not going to predict Ohio State to be Michigan. So. Yeah. Like, come on. Come on. But, yeah, that, I think that's it for me on this award show. I think it was an incredibly fun show. We got to kind of do a look back on a lot of points of the season. And that was really, that was really my goal, a fun way to kind of do a review. Yeah, without, like, all the, you know, structure. And this is a podcast that, for the most part, likes structure. But I think that it was good to kind of just have a little bit of fun with it um, before we start creating content for yeah. the off season, trying to survive. Yeah, but it's gonna be it's gonna be a long one. Um, yeah, but I think that's it for me today. I think me and Jordan are probably gonna take a much needed break from the show next week. Potentially, we'll see. We'll see if there's any big news. We'll feel it out. But if it's a slow week, um, expect us to take one week off and then get back in for the next fifty-one weeks in a row. Um. But, yeah, that's all I got. It was a great season. It was a great year. A lot of fun. It always is. Very excited to get this going, get into the offseason. And we will – I'll see you guys next time. You can follow me at Chris Rennie CFB. You can follow the show at Buck Off Pod. Jordan, any final words before we head out? Yeah, you can follow me at JordanW330. And I would just like to say thank you for your – for following us for a second season. Um you know, me and Chris just kind of got thrown together uh, last year when we both decided to come over to Langrid Holy Land and two full seasons of good content. And I'd hope that you would agree in the fact that I think we get better and better every time we get on the show. Uh, so thank you all for listening, for supporting us, for making us one of the most listened podcasts on uh, Langrid Holy Land. Uh it's kind of weird that 500 people listen to me talk shit each week. So definitely want to appreciate that uh, as we go into this next off season. And final thing, 
this offseason is going to be very interesting because there's so like we're going to have a real quarterback competition. Like there's so many things that we're going to get a chance to talk about. So hopefully you uh, follow us throughout the offseason. Go Bucks. Yep, go Bucks. And we'll see you guys next time.